When women say they don't need a man, they don't mean it. What they mean is they don't need a snivelling pussy who earns less than five million a year and can't bench press double his body weight. Which happens to be all of you. Trust me, she always needs a man. She will do anything to get one and anything to keep it. I'm going to walk with those who want to walk. I'm going to run with those who want to run. But I'm not standing still for anyone. And I can't stop you if you commit. And you can't stop me if I do. There isn't one system to success. There's, you know, Charlie did it different to Alfie, did it different to Neville, did it different to you, did it different to me. The system of success is knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at, and outsourcing all the things that you are not good at. There is no success without failure. Therefore, success is multiple failures, and multiple failures is success as long as you don't quit. Some of our politicians should be tried for crimes against humanity. Instead, they're on I'm a celebrity and they're only hundreds of thousands in public speaking. So by definition of you being you, you're going to attract the opposite and the opposite hate you. Hate you. Welcome back to another episode of Success is a System, uh, the podcast where I invite people along and ask them about the systems, the behaviours, the processes that they attribute their success to. And we're back where it all started. It was literally a year ago that we started in this studio, the Progressive Media Studios, uh, with Rob's team helping me get my podcast going. Rob is probably one of the most prolific podcasters in the UK and helps more than 200 podcasts get started and operate and run on their platform as I do. So uh, it's really exciting to be here after after one year. And, you know, what a better person to do our annual uh, podcast with because Rob is a, a, a massive podcaster, uh, award-winning, best-selling author, um, and massive property uh, entrepreneur and has trained over half a million people in how to make money from property. Did I miss anything in that intro, Rob? Um, a few things. A few we things. Can get right. we'll I, broke, get it I broke the world record for the longest public speech. Is that 43 speech. hours or something? You, uh, 47 and a half. 47 and a half. And you just yeah. all the way through? Yeah, all the way through. So, you know, I thought it was long when I went on some Anthony Robbins courses when I was younger and uh, he would go for 16 hours, but yeah. 47 and a half hours. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's been broken since, but... That's it. Who know. did that then? I'll, I'll tell you what, the Indians are really good at speaking for a long time. Every time I break a speaking world record, because I've done three now, the Indians immediately go and beat me again. So there's <laughs> something about that. I'll have to check. Uh, well, listen, I'm not sure I can speak for that long, but I, I really look forward to today because, you know, you are seen as the person to look at for how to... Um, get into property with very little money down. Uh, I'm a doctor of education and a behavioral profiler. And I love the fact that you are dedicated to helping people grow their wealth through training. And one of the things I wanted to get into amongst others was university versus school versus lifelong learning. And the fact that so many people probably make more from the lessons they get after education than during education. What, what are your thoughts on education and, and teaching people that are older maybe and are, are looking for a second bite at the cherry once they know what they don't want and what they do want? Mm. I think if you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant, probably university and traditional education is the way to go. I think if you want to be a creator, an entrepreneur, <clears throat> a mover, a shaker, a game changer, a change maker, a disruptor, a podcaster, I think university will make it hard for you and would actually be of detriment. Um, also, when you go to university, 
you're not guaranteed the job you thought you would get and you're carrying 50 grand or even a hundred yeah. six figures sometimes when you do education like that in America. Whereas if you could have got an apprenticeship with a millionaire age 18. So if someone isn't sure what they want to do, why go to university and get a degree and do something you're not sure? Why not tap up Mike Green or Rob Moore and come yeah, yeah. work for us as an apprentice? I say apprentice, not as in a, a laborer, but you know, if people want to give me their time and, and, and offer me fair exchange, then I'll give them some of my time to teach them what I know. Which will, which will be a lot, uh, a lot better value than, than 100 grand of university well, and all the cost and the, the missing out on four years income and, yeah. and everything else. Yeah, not only have you missed out on four years income, but you've built four years of debt. Yeah. So that's actually eight years effect. It, it can be even worse than that. If you want to be successful, you talk about success as a system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be successful, the system is to find successful people and model what they've done. But, exactly. when you, but when you go to uni, the, the tutors are not millionaires. Name me a business professor or someone who teaches economics within school and university who's a multimillionaire. That would be none. Yeah. None. Unless they've, <clears throat> unless they've become it, like someone like Jordan Peterson, but then he's broken out of that. So, well, and he's been demonized because he broke there out. There you go. Because he's broken out of the system and he's a rebel against the system yeah, yeah, yeah. i believe the system of education and the banking and the finance system is designed for you to essentially become a laborer to labor for the big corporations and banks and the people that yeah, yeah, yeah. control and steer the world it's not designed for you to be an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur essentially competes with the system now, some people call that conspiracy theory. I don't. I just call it no. common sense. Well, and interestingly, in in, uh, in all the people that, that we've had on the podcast over the last year, what you tend to find is a lot of entrepreneurs never went to university. A lot of people who go to university because you learn bad habits are taught at university. not to go into their own business. You not learn to sell. All the entrepreneurs. So we know Neville Rice, a yeah, 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 joint friend of ours, worth hundred million. He learned to sell in the playground. Because he couldn't learn properly because he had major dyslexia. So by definition of him being shit at school, it made him be good learning the skills you need to be an entrepreneur. But at university, you're not like, right, go out in the streets yeah, yeah, and yeah. go and sell on the streets. Set up a market on the street. You know, like they're doing The Apprentice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. They're not, you're, not, you're just given theory <clears throat> by people who are barely earning 50 grand a year. Well, absolutely. I was having this same conversation with Charlie Mullins a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking about apprenticeships. The government have said we need 1.1 million apprenticeships uh, over the next five years. But one of the things we were talking about is the fact that if you don't go to uni, you almost don't want to be an apprentice because that has been made to seem like a second rate choice. If you don't go to university, you're somewhat a second rate citizen. It's been so much demonized. And yet a lot of people who go into trades, which is where a lot of those apprenticeships are, are um, haven't been properly supported by education because they were dyslexic, they were ADHD, they were ADD. Um, and so they never did well at school, but they didn't fail school. School failed them because it wants them to learn in one dimensional process that isn't right for their learning style. I mean, you're unusual as an entrepreneur, I think, in the sense that you went to university and you've become an entrepreneur. So what, but going to what was the transition? Well, going to university delayed me starting as an entrepreneur. I did architecture at university. And I came out with a degree and then I worked for my dad for two or three years and I was 26 years old and I was 50 grand in debt. So if I'd have not gone to university and I'd have started my business at 18, I'd have had 
an extra seven to eight years. Because I don't and know if you'd it, have earned all the way through. Well, uh, yeah. one, I'd have earned all the way through. Two, I wouldn't have got into debt. But eight years on the end of 17 years, if you think of compounding. Yeah, yeah, so if yeah. anyone looks at a compounding curve, it goes really flat and then it just goes wild. So all the earning is on the end of the compounding curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of, of course, all the hardship is at the start. So I've got 17 years experience as an entrepreneur, but I'd have 25 or 26. But I'd have done the hard stuff earlier. My, my compounding curve would have gone wild. So I regret it. I regret going to university. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what to do, I would say don't go to university. But that's what – here's the problem with society is if you go to university, you're deemed intelligent by society. Yeah, yeah. Or much of it. If you don't go to university, you're deemed not intelligent by society. When in reality, I want to be street smart, not book smart. I don't want to be theory smart. I want to be like – Blood on the street, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read thousands of books, but actually negotiating with someone face-to-face or navigating 130 staff through COVID like we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like getting your but, hands dirty. And I think when you get leadership because you've worked at every level in a particular chosen skill or sector, there is no level that can uh, kid you or bullshit you. Uh, it made me think as you were talking about the uh, interview we did with David Potts, who's CEO of Morrison's earning millions of pounds a year, 110,000 staff, uh, hundreds of big supermarkets and hundreds of small shops as well. Uh, and he, I, I, I'd known him for years and years and years, good friend. And I thought he was Oxbridge and had been to university. Anyway, we go and do the uh, interview and I say, tell me about your upbringing and so on. Uh, and he literally said, oh, I've finished school. He said, I only did five O levels and I got F in all of them, literally five Fs. Uh, he said, but I finished work on the uh, school on the Friday. On the Monday, I started as a shelf filler at Tesco's. He said, by the time other people came out of university, I was managing one of Tesco's biggest stores. I'd had four years experience uh, and he'd done every single job. So when he then became a manager, mm. he was far more relatable as a manager because he'd done every single job. He could either be empathetic and show them how to do that job or if they were bullshitting him that it took him longer – he could say, well, you're doing it wrong then because this is how you should do it. Uh, didn't, and, didn't. and no one can kid him. So here he is at the top spot now, but having empathy and understanding and knowledge of how to do every single role all the way through that that that, mm. that multitude of, of roles within that business. Didn't Terry Leahy of Tesco and he was, do exactly he was, the same he was, no, he was Terry Leahy's number two, in effect, for a yeah, long time. Oh, right. So started stacking the shelves. Yeah. So this thing with you said earlier about being an apprentice and maybe that being like negative connotations i like to call people protégés you know it's, it's more it's sexier isn't it and anyone who comes and works for me and wants to learn what i know they are a protégé and that me. suggests that they're on their route to being the protégé program they, they're on their journey yeah. no i think that's yeah. a that's a good call in fact you mentioned terry lee here and i was in retail around that time and in fact they were one of my clients and uh the industry knew that Dave Potts was going to be Terry Lee, his replacement. He was always going to be Terry Lee, his replacement. He knew he was going to be Terry Lee, his replacement. And the story goes that at the last minute, the board had a wobble. Back to our point about university, they went with the safe guy, the FD, the finance man, Philip Clark, who then fucked Tesco's uh, and they lost their number one spot and had to be rescued back. Mm. Um uh, and Dave went on, left, because who's going to stay when you're supposed to be number one and they put a safe seat in rather than the guy who's the lead, the real leader. Mm. Uh, and he went on to Morrison's uh, and has done strength to strength with them since it. But there is this balance. I think I think what 
and I'm, uh, this is a question more than a statement, but what I'm hearing you saying is there's nothing wrong with uni if that's the, what you want to do and you want to pursue an academic career or it's a very uh, bespoke thing you've got to learn, like surgery or, or what have you. But if in doubt, get out there, get some experience, learn by your mistakes, uh, work with somebody who's, who's achieved some stuff and ask them to teach you how they achieve some stuff. Yes. One thing I will also say, there's a lot of people I know, especially a lot of my Indian friends, they go to university to become a doctor because their parents want them yeah, to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think any of us are born to live our life based on what our parents want us to do. We are individuals. Yeah. You know, my children are themselves and there's things I want them to do and there's things my wife want them to do. But ultimately, my job as a parent is to nourish and nurture them to self-actualize <clears throat> and find out what they want. So many of us go to university if we do because we feel like we should, not because we want to. And is that why you went? I went architecture. Yeah, mm -hmm. I went because I felt like I should, because I felt like I had the, I was intelligent, well, I was book smart <clears throat> enough, I could recite, because really, school is recital. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did a Zoom last week. I had 535 people at the point where I offered my new, the 45 online mentoring program. I ended up having nearly 200 applications. So if I get 90 people with two groups, that's 90 times four and a half grand. You know, it's a 375 grand sale. And in the moment when I offered the application page to go and apply, my website went down. I phoned my tech guy. He said our site was under attack. He got a backup right. link. The backup link didn't work. And in the end, I got everyone to put their name and phone number in. I said, we'll fix the issue. And then we'll message you with the new application form. And we ended up getting off the 200 people that were interested, maybe three quarters of them put in an application. Right. You could never fucking learn that at university and you could never deal with that reading in a book. Because the street smart teaches you how to have a plan. Because it's plan there. Plan B, plan yeah. C, plan D. But it's there and it's real and it's live and you're in <laughs> front of hundreds of people. So that's the difference. Yeah, the, yeah, you, yeah. you learn to recite from traditional education but you learn to adapt, evolve, pivot, sense the moment, take control, manage your emotions when you actually do it for real. And, and the only way you can learn that is, well, there's two ways to learn it. You can do it yourself. That's the slow way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But success is a system is the title of your podcast. The way to speed up that process is to find a millionaire and go and learn from them. Well, interestingly, I, 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 so one of the things I talk about when we, we, we launched this, and I talk about it a lot during the way, is success is not a secret. A lot of people say, I want to teach you the secret. Ah, so let me argue with you. Let me argue yeah, with you. Yeah, come them. on, let's do this. Um, everything <clears throat> that someone doesn't know how to do is a secret. Yes, but because underlying if, that is here's a principle or a system. Here's the thing. You can't go on YouTube and become a millionaire, but a lot of people think, well, you can just get free information on YouTube and become a millionaire. But most people aren't millionaires. So you're using the word secret in the sense of... What you do not you know. You don't know it yet. Isn't yeah, that what yeah. a secret is? What you do not know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We're talking <laughs> semantics here. So, but, but, well, but, are we, but aren't we? So here's <laughs> the thing. You do not know what you do not know. Therefore, it's a secret. So if you want to become a millionaire, you need to know what millionaires know and only millionaires know them. Therefore, they are a secret. I think what you're saying is you can learn them. Yeah, well, and also it's this kind of uh, focus or understanding that 
often people say, I'm going to teach you the seven secrets to success as if there are only seven secrets and there, there is a defined seven steps. What I find with uh, success as a system and the different people that over my career, but also during the podcast is that there isn't one system to success. There's, you know, Charlie did it different to Alfie, did it different to Neville, did it different to you, did it different to me. Mm. So, and, and one of the ways I try to encourage people is to say, if you look at someone like uh, yourself and you think, I'm not like Rob. I'm not as confident. I couldn't do that. Well, that don't matter. Who do you think you are like? Uh, oh, well, I could be more like Neville because he, he he's kind of a more more sort of humble. If you like, uh, well, okay, follow Neville's system. If you don't like want to be like Neville, follow Joe Valente's system. Follow uh, whoever it is. And I'll try to get across the point that success is a system. You might not know it yet, so in that sense, it might be a secret. But there are loads of different systems. If 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 Plan A don't work, find another system. Find another system. But look at people who have been successful and emulate their success and if you find someone who you think is like you there's more chance that their system is going to be something that's going to work for you because you can relate to that you know mm. and we all know you know i'm i if i try to emulate uh, a gold medal runner i can run as fast as i can but my legs are probably a foot shorter you know i'm, I'm a different physicality uh and uh, i may have different sort of psychological um beliefs I've, I've got to, I can adapt that, but I can't adapt my physicality. So I need to, if, if I want to be a runner, I want to look at someone who's kind of similar height or started in their forties like I did and, and see how they did it. And that may just be about belief. I can believe it more because they're more like me. It might not be fact, but it's a system that I fe feel uh, able to follow. And I have more faith and trust that if I follow that, it'll work for me. Okay. So... I hear you and I agree with certain elements. I want to challenge a couple of them. I used to always learn from 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds and billionaires and people on Dragon's Den who were my mentors like James Kahn and I've got to know Tuca very well because I perceived that they had 30 to 40 years more experience than me and they did. Yeah. yeah. But what about a 21-year-old billionaire? Like, surely I can learn a hell of a lot from a 21-year-old billionaire. So whilst physically in an endurance athletic endeavor if you haven't got the physical attributes it's going to be hard for you but <clears throat> you don't need any physical attributes to be an entrepreneur you need a mind so that's actually a, an irrelevant point so i want to learn from people who've been where i want to go yeah, and have yeah. done what i want to do 30 years ago i also want to learn from a 25 year old how the fuck did you become a billionaire when yeah, i'm yeah. 40 and, and that's what i mean five. about there's different systems there are different ways to do it you don't you but don't if have you, to follow one prescribed no way. you don't but if you if you subscribe to the belief that there is no one system that's really overwhelming it's very it's easier to start with seven steps because do you know there are 25 ways to monetize social media directly and if and if you're like right i'm going to do all 25 then because there is no one system you're never going to start yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I just said to you, the best way is to start with a membership site. Now you're in the game. So I agree that you can't distill every life success event <clears throat> or niche or business into seven steps. But starting with seven steps to get moving is better than being overwhelmed that there's a yeah, million yeah, no, different ways to point. do things. That's a fair point. Yeah. So one of those attributes that I talk about a lot is failure. The ability to accept it's going to be part of your journey. Mm. I often say it's not the opposite of success. It's one of the key ingredients mm. of success. And the degree to which you fear it or avoid it will probably also be a, a, a direct correlation with the amount of success you have or mm. the speed at which you achieve it. So mm. what? tell me about failure. 
Tell me about some failure you've had maybe or, or, or how it's shaped you. Have you had failure? I mean, I'm not aware of, uh, I haven't read much about any failure. And maybe that's because we want to focus on success. But I think we live in a world where so many people think everyone that they aspire to be is so successful that they then look at their own failures and they think, I can't be like that because he's successful and I'm failed. Yeah. So tell me, is failure a part of your journey? Has it been? How important is it for success? Uh, I agree that there is no success without failure. Therefore, success is multiple failures and multiple failures is success as long as you don't quit. Yes. Because you can fail three times and quit and then you failed. So actually, failure is failure. The average entrepreneur fails three and a half times, i.e. three and a half businesses. This is, you can find this research on the line and it's, it's according to one study, yeah. but that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The average millionaire or successful business owner has failed three and a half businesses. Now that depends on fail, your definition of failure. Yeah, yeah. Did you go bust or did you just close a company down that was successful a few years ago? But if that's, that data doesn't sound like that outrageously But wrong, if that's the case, push on through three and a half. If that's, if that's yeah, the yeah. case, you need to fail three and a half times to succeed. Do it quickly. Yeah, do <laughs> it quickly or, 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 or don't do it too quickly. Because sometimes if you try and speed up, you can't speed you up growing a lesson. Well, I you guess. can't speed up growing an acorn, uh, an oak tree from an acorn. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, so be, people always ask me, how do you get rich quick? No, no, that's the wrong question. How do you get rich correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, how do I you like get that. rich long? I like that, I like that. How do you get rich for the long term? What's the best way to get rich? Not Because sometimes the quickest way to get rich is the slowest way to get rich because you're trying to circle. Well, or it might not be sustainable as well. Well, exactly, or it might yeah, be a scam. Yeah. Or yeah. you might be naive or, or this is why lottery winners nearly always go bust. You could give them the money, but they haven't got the knowledge and experience. So I'm going to say something that most entrepreneurs won't say. I think my success is my failure because I'm worth tens of millions. Can't say how much, but it's, yeah. it's in the high tens. Um, it's certainly not billions, but I've been an entrepreneur 17 years and there are entrepreneurs who became a billionaire doing it for 17 years. So maybe my success is my failure. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I talk about a lot and, in so my book. can I book, just, just, yeah, go, just finish go. it real quick? Because I'm scared to go bust. And, and I, weirdly, I slightly envy people who've gone bust. Because yeah. I, I will avoid at all costs going bust. I've never had a, lost a property deal. I've never gone down with anyone's money. And I know plenty of entrepreneurs who are doing it over and over again. And I look at them and think, you're screwing people over. You're losing people's money. This is really fucking <clears> bad. <throat> but they're just like, keep going and, and, until they win. So um, maybe I'd be a billionaire if I'd have failed or gone bust three and a half times, but I haven't. And I have to think of my journey like that to challenge myself to yeah, grow yeah. optimally. That being said, I've, I built a, a property deal sourcing business, which we closed down. I've had many partnerships that have started and then ended. So you, what I've probably done, Mike, is I've failed a lot, but small. Yeah. Some people have failed infrequently, but really big. Well, and the interesting thing to unpick that, so I, I wrote a book, Failure Beats Success, uh, partly because I, I, I believe it's not an event, it's, uh, it's not a destination, it's an event. If you stay there, it's your destination, and therefore you are a failure. Mm. But if you push on through, how can you be a failure? It's a lesson you learn. Mm. And they say that um, experience comes from making mistakes. Wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. Mm. But if we look at some of that, I think one of the things, if I look back at my failure, I was 26, 
97, not only did I lose my business, I didn't understand the value of cash, the importance of cash and cash flow. Uh, went bust, not only that, we then lost our house and we were homeless. We did, me and my wife delivered pizzas uh, on mopeds for two years and I then started to read a lot and they say readers are leaders and, and, and I built back very successfully. The difference is that having had that failure, it's like kids who burn their hands on a fire, they ain't going to go near their fire quite so much again. But still, I found myself, um, when things have gone wrong in a business, they say never, ever, 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 ever give up. But I think that's slightly wrong because I think when you know you're going in the wrong direction or it's not working, you should give up. You know, it's not giving up. It's recognizing, oh, I've tried that. I've given it my best. I've test marketed it. It's not working. What's a better way to make it work or better thing to do? Because having mentored thousands of people over the last 20 years, what I've found is a lot of them have gone bust when they don't recognize the signs that something's dying or dead or, or wrong or it's outdated. Um, and they keep on going. They keep putting more mm. fuel to that fire of failure, if you like. And it may be that from your from what you've said, you've recognized it early and reversed out and, and followed another opportunity, followed another avenue. Because I think real failure is because you've, you've let it go too far before you've woken up to it. And yet when I then speak to people who have been through that failure, they knew it was failing long before they accepted it was failing. Yeah, I think never give up on the vision and the ultimate destination you want to go to and, you know, the desire to be the entrepreneur or the millionaire or whatever you want. Never give up on that. But regularly give up on bad decisions, regularly give up on mistakes, regularly give up on business models that used to work and don't anymore yeah. because things always change. So I agree. People get confused when it's never, ever, 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 ever give up. It's on your life's mission. And how do you keep focused then on often we can't see something failing or we're so emotionally invested. We don't see it failing. It's often external advisors that will start saying to you, look, this isn't working. The numbers never lie. You know, it's kind of not working and you might inherently know it, but you kind of want to see the rose colored spectacles, the, the kind of good side of it. Has it, do you value external advisors, mentors? How, what is, what has it been that has helped you recognize something that's going wrong enough to park it, bin it, move on? How, how do you get that awareness? Do you think? Yeah. So do I believe in mentors, non-execs, advisors, board members? Absolutely. Yes. Um, you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And there's way more you don't know than you do. The problem is most people think it's a weakness to ask for help. I see it as a strength. It's a, I'm good at that. So yeah, we've had loads of mentors, billionaires. Told you James Carr mentored me for a while. Andres Paniotu is a billionaire real estate investor. I'm in various masterminds. Um, because one thing I know is how much I don't know. <clears throat> and the system of success is knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at, and outsourcing all the things that you are not good at and focusing on what you're good at. That's a, a pretty simple yeah. thing. By the way, school doesn't teach you that because school no. goes, oh, those four GCSEs you're failing, you better study those yeah, and do more. Yeah, <laughs> do more of what you're shit at yeah, and less yeah. of what you're good at is what... Whereas if, yeah, yeah. if I've got someone who's... A star in one subject, I'll say, drop the other nine yeah. and let's focus on Well, the even star. more worrying thing is you're not allowed to tell them they're shit at something now, even though well, they are shit at it there or we go. know they are. They yeah. know, but, you know. So that, that would be my, my next point on, you know, how do you know when to let something go? Um, self-awareness, radical self-awareness. I think the hardest thing to understand other than the universe itself is the self. 
Where does that come from, that, that awareness? Um, it comes from internally trusting your emotions and the intuition that you get from your emotions, but you have to be able to separate yourself from them to know what they mean. So for example, if you get angry, you could your, beh your behavior could be driven by the anger. But if yeah. you become angry and then take a step back and go, why am I choosing to do anger? What is triggering the anger? How do I control my response to the anger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it actually because someone cut me up in, in the car or is it just my ego? Yeah, yeah. And how important did, is it? Yeah, yeah, and did the truth actually really hurt? And I'm responding because yeah. the truth hurts. So self-awareness is to know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, analyze your emotions from an observational point of view, not in yeah, them, yeah. and then making strategic decisions based on evidence and yeah. not emotion. And, and Covey says a similar thing in his Seven Habits, that it, and the way he encapsulates it is the space between stimulus and response is a choice. And once you realize it's a choice, however small yes. that gap is, you can kind of elongate that gap because you start to realize the, that it is a choice. It's not, a, a, oh, I instinctively did it. No, no, it might have been a, a split second, but this happened, you chose that response. So the question then is, do you want to unconsciously choose or consciously choose your responses? Because most people who are failing, they are unconsciously choosing that response, i.e. they're not in conscious control. And successful people, I believe, in all walks of life are able to get stimulated. Initially, that can be a negative trigger because it keeps us safe and aware and it's a warning and we need it. But then they're able to, like you said, elongate that response time and then choose consciously. So, for example, I don't like firing people, but if it's the right thing to do, I'll do it. But I don't actually like it. Yeah. And my initial you don't ever have to like it. Well, no. My initial response is to want to give them another chance. And I actually don't like doing it. So how I figured it out is I stay distant from it by having other people fire people for me. Now, I used to think that made me weak. It doesn't. It makes me more objective. Because if I have to do it, I might not. I might avoid it because I don't yeah, want to yeah. do it. Whereas if I don't have to do it, I can make the decision whether it's right or wrong. But that, that's, a, that's a good self-awareness of a leader to accept that they're not the best person at everything they need to be done in a yeah. business. Because it's, it's so ego, many think but... as the leader, you've got to control everything. Yeah. You've got to be as good as everyone at anything. In fact, nah. I saw a post uh, WhatsApp group that I'm on. I saw one of the guys saying, I've just employed the first person who's, who I'm paying more than me who uh, is better than me and it's made me feel amazing because in that acceptance that I don't have to be the best person in the room I'm somehow the best person in the room yeah because even though that person's better at a core skill better at managing more experienced whatever that better um qualified as it you could you could even sense in this small whatsapp post that it, it was a real growing moment for this guy to be big enough to employ someone bigger than mm. him, better than him, mm. more experienced than him, more valuable than him in society's um, salary uh, perspective. Yeah, I mean, surely one of the purposes in life is to self-actualize, which means to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. That's going to make you full of self-worth and confidence. It's going to be the most useful to society. You're going to be the most useful in your company. So what that means by definition is you have to figure out what you're really good at and then therefore delegate and outsource and delay and defer and delete everything else. So actually, 
the most successful person is probably hyper aware of what they're not good at and then get their ego out the way and get other people to do those things that they're not good at. Now, you wouldn't have a defender in football going, oh, I don't want a striker yeah. because he's better than me. A defender would go, I want a better striker than me. Because they recognise the role sense. of everyone on the team. Exactly. But yeah. like you said, leaders want to be good at everything. But that's ego. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Success as a System. Come back every fortnight to hear tips, tricks and systems to make you the best business person you can be. Visit my website, mikegreen.co.uk for information on my mentorship and follow on all my socials for bite-sized pieces of advice. Thanks very much. Now let's jump back into this week's episode. So... Do you need to get rid of ego? Is there a place for ego? There's a place for ego. So there's this whole nonsense, like, rhetoric that ego is the enemy. No. Ego that you can't control, that you don't understand, is the enemy. But ego controlled. If if an entrepreneur has no ego, an entrepreneur has no drive. Ego helps you beat competition. Yeah, yeah. Ego is a motivating driver and energy. But people perceive ego as arrogance. Ego is not arrogance. Ego is all the things. So I guess when you think of it as energy, I, and, and this took, made my brain go to the sort of space that nuclear energy harnessed can be a great thing. Yeah. Nuclear energy in a bomb can destroy a lot of things. Well, so, and any anything kind of can energy, be a poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. in the right doses or targeted in the right way. Can be can a cure. Become, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anything that we ingest... <clears throat> Too much can kill us, and the optimum amount is perfect. So it's the same with ego. I want to come back to something you were saying about you're not a billionaire, you know, I'm in the eight figures, you're in the higher eight figures than me, uh, and it does change you. And and very much I noticed that once I got the money thing out of the way in terms of the home, in terms of knowing that nobody could pull that rug, you were more in control, whatever that means, but you, you felt safer, and that was what was important to me. Uh, and chapter one of my book, I, I talk about first define success. What do you want? What does success means to you? And some people, I talk about my my brother who um, went traveling, lived on the beach for many years. Now he's got a successful restaurant in the northern part of Goa uh, and is hugely successful on a lot less money than people might measure that. But he's successful because he's where he wanted to be in life, doing what he wants to do, living the life, being his best self, if you like. But for other people, that success would have to be a million or 10 million or 100 million or a billionaire. The problem is a billionaire who's a, someone who's a millionaire that wants to be a billionaire isn't happy. There may be a failure in their own mind. Do you, have you ever thought about, has it been a conscious journey to, I'm going to make a million, I'm going to make 10 million, or has it not been about the money? Has it been about the what you want to achieve? Is it mm. How important is the target of millionaire, billionaire, those... I mean, it's just a material thing, isn't it? And I, I find the more you make, the less you need. Mm. But some people are still driven to be that billionaire. Mm. So, Because you never need a billion. No. I make my money. I don't allow money to make me. Right. So um, I don't define myself by money, but it's one metric. So I think a lot of people, they underestimate the power of making money because if you play football the measure of success is how many goals you score yeah and you wouldn't have a footballer going well you know what it doesn't really matter how many goals we score it just matters if we play that's like people not being focused on on money in business although it sounds like school doesn't, well, you don't have to you win you know? yeah you just have to take part 
So if the destination and the outcome and the score is defined by goals in football, then turnover and net profit and gross margin and the other metrics that you measure in business is the score. So it was very important for me to become a millionaire when I wasn't one. And it was very important for me to become a decamillionaire when I wasn't one. I became a millionaire age just under 31 and a decamillionaire age 35. I'm 45 now. So that was a long time ago. And obviously I'm worth more now. And I was heavily focused on becoming a millionaire and a decamillionaire <clears throat> because they were the way they were scoring the goals in the game of football. Yeah. But I stopped. Well, I don't, I don't stop counting. I count twice a year. I do my net worth statement twice a year. Everyone should do it. I don't stop counting, but. I've got different measurements of different metrics and KPIs now. Right? Yeah, yeah. So for example, I want to impact millions of people, maybe even a billion. Would I rather be worth a hundred million and impact a billion people or a billion and impact hundred thousand people? I'd rather impact a billion people and take yeah, less money yeah. because when I die, no <clears> one's going to give a fuck how much money I made. Does but that, they're going to care how many people I impact. And does that come? So to me, that's the legacy bit, isn't it? It's like, so another Covey thing, he, his mission statement vision was to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy. And he talks about living really experiencing life, loving, assuming people are good before you look for the bad, uh, learning. He learned 10 languages in 10 years, couldn't read and write them, but could speak them. But he says, all those are things I do in my lifetime. Legacy is what I leave behind and the impact I'll have on the world long after I've gone. Uh, does legacy grow once you've ticked the money box or does it come with age? Where, when does legacy become important? Was it always important or is that something that's come about in recent years? Um, when you're broke or you're starting, you need to be selfish. Like lots of entrepreneurs come up to me and say, hey, I want to set up a you know, not-for-profit or a foundation or the reason I want to start a business is or, you know, I want to give, give back. You've got to make to give back and you yeah. shouldn't start a non-profit before you've made profit. So when you start, you should be a little bit more selfish i.e. get out of debt, make my first hundred grand, make my first million. They're, they're worthy goals. You have to do it in a way that's selfless. Because if you run an organization, yeah. you run a company and you sell stuff, I don't want to buy your stuff to make you rich. I want to buy your stuff because your stuff is useful to me. So if you keep going, oh, well, I'm Mike and I'm going to be a billionaire and I'm Mike and I'm going to be a billionaire. In the end, people are going to go, I don't fucking care. Yeah, yeah. If you sell phones, I want to buy a good phone. So there comes, a, you have to be selfish to start. That's the personal mission. But the, the sooner you can be equally selfish and selfless, the longer you're going to go. So selfish is the money you make. Selfless is the value you provide. If you provide all value and make no money, that's a hobby or a charity. If you're a greedy, capitalist, evil, money-focused Satan, then <laughs> in the end, society is going to overthrow you. So I figured out probably 12 years ago that balancing the selfish and the selfless is the sustainable and scalable way to go. When I get too selfish, I'll get feedback from my clients and my staff that I'm focusing too much on myself. When I'm too selfless, <clears throat> my money will go down and the, what I want to get in my life, you know. So it's this constant it, it is, it's a seesaw. Like, you know, with meetings, <clears throat> if you don't do enough meetings, you can't steer the ship properly. If you do too much meetings, you're like, fucking hell, I can't get anything of yeah. myself done because yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. doing meetings for everyone else. So with everything... There is your optimum. I don't like balance because balance is saying I do a bit of this and a bit of that and I merge it all together. I work on holiday. I write books for fun. I retire every day. I have a holiday every day and I work every day. I work on Christmas Day 
and I do calls to help people on Christmas Day and I chill on Christmas Day. So what someone might do in a year, I do every single day because I wanted to design my life how I wanted it, not how society wanted it. Um, so, yeah, that's my rant on whatever the question was. So, yeah, no, so that's good. I wanted to come back to you talking about helping a billion people. With well, I mean, I already helped millions. To, yeah, no, you, exactly. you know, when you did my intro, the, yeah. you know, I've got two and a half million followers on social media. I have helped millions of people either get into property or become an entrepreneur or educate themselves on that journey. I and mean, we get tens of millions of views and downloads probably now <clears> a week, you know, across our platforms. And making money feels good, but it doesn't last. Being useful and valuable to society feels good and it lasts. And once people learn something, they can't unlearn it. So you've given them that knowledge for life. That gift forever, yeah. The, the thing I wanted to get into, and, and I don't know if you ever feel it or, or whether it becomes part of your consideration set, but I've taught lots of people. I've mentored lots of people. My business that I built globally was a consultancy. So it was all about advising businesses on how to change their product offer and their marketing and different things. The frustration and the thing that becomes a bit of an obsession to me is I, I teach this process. This process makes person A 10x their income or, or their business. Person B has the same knowledge, the same process, but doesn't do anything with it. And it's easy to become obsessive about because you don't just want people to get the knowledge. You want them to be successful from that knowledge, I assume. And and I'm always trying to understand. And, and my experience is 90% of the people who have the same knowledge will never be successful with it. And it's a kind of passion and a frustration that why is it? They've got the same knowledge as the people who really take it and make it and use it and, and make the world better with it. But 90% never will. Why do you think the 90% won't and don't and does that do you bother about that 90 or do you just focus on those that are in the game that are taking it that are ready for it at that moment in time the answer is obvious to me it's the most easy answer to answer in the universe it's because it's a law of the universe because if everyone could become successful at something everyone would do something and no one would do anything else and species would die out in a generation. We need doctor, dentist, lawyer, accountant, solicitor, microphone maker, candlestick maker, butcher, baker, watchmaker. We need them all. So by definition, we need a few people doing everything, not everybody doing one thing. So in, yeah. like, let's say you owned a martial arts studio. You'd say, well, bloody hell, I have a thousand people come through the doors a year. 900 of them only have one lesson. 50 of them get white belt and quit, and only three become black belts. That is the law of nature. That is the law of the universe. But they all, they all sign up or come along thinking they want it, saying they want it. Do they not want it, or are they not willing to put the work in to get it? What, well, What is the missing link? Might I be bold as to say, Mike, there are many things in your life that you've tried that weren't to do with business that you quit really early. And yeah, me too. Yeah. I tried about seven martial arts, quit them. I've done loads of hobbies quitting so ultimately i think the purpose of life because i don't think it's happiness by the way we can come to that if you want i think the purpose of life is to go through life and discover what your personal self-actualization is but we don't get given it we have to go and find yeah. it so i don't think the purpose of a parent is to raise a child to be like the parent i think the purpose of a parent is to help the child discover to self-actualize but to discover what you want you have to test 58 things that you don't want. 
Yeah. No, I get that. And, and you've tried a million things and you've been that quitter that you might look at the entrepreneur who's the quitter and judge them. So I have a different view. I understand that it's the law of the universe, that if 10 people come to me, the universe is going to block nine of them. But if I'm really fucking good, I can get three or four right. out of 10 of them to be a successful entrepreneur, but I'll never get all 10 of them. Because some people, they just <clears throat> saw you on a Facebook ad and they like the look of it. And then they're off somewhere. So, so sometimes you're just on someone's journey. Yeah. So all you can do is be the best at understanding human behavior. I think to be the best mentor and to teach people how to be successful, you have to equally split the difference between support and challenge. And where, yeah. mo where most people go wrong is they're too supportive and they don't call you out on your bullshit. Or they're a bit like, say, someone like Andrew Tate and a lot of his mini-me followers. Yeah, yeah. Like, You're a fucking loser. You're a fucking loser. No, 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 a lot of people aren't losers. They need a bit of, some people need support and some people need challenge. And if you get that right balance and you know when someone needs support, because if I've had a hard life, I'm not a loser. I've had a hard life. If I've had an easy life, I need it a bit harder. Yeah, if I've yeah, had yeah. a hard life, I need it a bit easier. So I have long ago let go of the expectation that everyone that crosses the path of all my books and all my mentoring programs is going to be successful. And I don't look down on them for that. But when you've taught millions of people, you can find the clues to give people the best chance and understand what yeah, and, drivers and are. I, I like the saying that, you know, I'm going to walk with those who want to walk, I'm going to run with those who want to run, but I'm not standing still for anyone. Mm. So you want some of those who are going to walk to maybe try running and you always want to push that boundary a little bit. But, do you, you know, you just go into it thinking, I'm going to give them my truth. I'm going to speak that truth that I know can make them successful if they choose not to take that act on that work with that that's their choice but you still do you, does it not distract you at all that some of them even though you know that you know that they could be really successful with it they don't okay well let me ask you this if you had let's a, say there was a, a kid your own kid and you know they can be amazing you see that potential but you can't them. know that well you could see potential though i think yeah but you see the potential through the lens of your own life not through the lens of theirs because potential needs the work to deliver, I guess. Yeah, and potential is, like, if you're an entrepreneur and you pick up a couple of little signs that a young person could be an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, they've got potential. But you're looking through the eyes of being an entrepreneur. If a, a, a theoretician who teaches business and finance at university saw those same traits they'd be like well they're a rebel so it's perceived potential i guess rather than actually yeah so often what we do is we want people <clears throat> to be successful because of what we want yeah. for them not what they no, that's a fair want point. for them or, or what is what is right for them now look I, I have a rule if you want in i'm giving you everything but if you don't really want in get the fuck out. Yeah. That's essentially my yeah, law. Yeah. They have to, the biggest thing is the choice. Well, it's interesting that you say about mentors and I remember my uh, most influential mentor would make, made me do clip around the world yacht race, made me climb mountains, made me do marathon. What the fuck's that got to do with business? He knew it would grow me in different ways and would challenge me in different ways. But more importantly, it would give me distance from what I was doing in business that would give me perspective. And I guess I'm trying to teach some of those things without being that hard on people and maybe, or that, challenging yeah, of people. but for the right person they need to be challenged yeah, yeah but for the wrong person they need to be supported so wisdom if you see people out on the internet teaching stuff they're either uh, on the extreme of supported 
supportive and they're on the or they're on the extreme of challenge but in reality some people need more support and some people need more challenge so a great mentor knows the difference yeah the the, the key thing is the <clears throat> choice if you make a decision and you commit to that decision no human can fail at anything that is physically possible. Obviously, you can't jump off a, you know, 25,000 foot mount mountain and survive, but that's just nonsense. Yeah, yeah. That's what academics are. <clears throat> they argue over the wrong things. <laughs> Who fucking cares? But anything that's humanly achievable and physically possible, the power of decision and commitment of the human mind is one of the most powerful things in the world. And I can't stop you if you commit. And you can't stop me if I commit. So my job as a mentor is to get them to fucking commit. And a lot of people, they're not yet at commitment. If you were going to lose, the, if you, your wife and your children are the most dear people to you in your life, and they'd get kidnapped and tortured unless you raised 100 million in the, in the next month, it is done. You're going to raise 100 yeah. million. You're going to raise 100 million. You're not going to sleep till it's done. So I, my job is to help people commit because after committing, everything else is Find much easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, if I sense you're not committing, I'm going to push you either away because you're wasting my time and yours and you might as well go and learn something else and get yeah, a job yeah. or I'm going to pull you in. No, that's great. I mean, I was thinking you mentioned Andrew Tate there and that made me make a sort of mental note to come back to it because you have spoken to on your various podcasts some of the most followed people, the most known people on the planet. Andrew Tate, you, you've had on your podcast, you're going to have him again soon, you were saying earlier. Mm. Um, society, those academics, those politicians, uh, the, the leaders that uh, uh, take that role in the country, I don't think they earn it always, uh, make us believe that Trump and Farage and Tate are all bad. You've met the man. You've spoken to the man. What's your take on him? Um, he's not all bad. He errs on the side of challenge, not support. You know, support is, oh, don't worry. It's not your fault. I'm here for you. Challenge is, you're a loser unless you commit to success. So he's just extreme on the challenge side. Which is back to your point about making them commit. If they really disagree, then do something about it. Yeah, because if he's going to... Andrew Tate is quite misunderstood in that he's going to get more people to commit than the supportive types. But people who need support... And they may commit because they completely disagree with him. It, they, may, they, 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 it they, may be something he says that stimulates them to take action yeah. differently. Yeah, because... You know, a lot, of, a lot of what Andrew says is true, even when he's accused that it's not true. And I'm exclusively here talking about his business advice. I'm yeah, not yeah. talking about any other shenanigans that are currently going on, because that's the, the theme of this podcast. But where Andrew Tate would not be successful is if someone's had a really fucking hard life and they just need a bit of support. You've yeah, mentored yeah, yeah. people who had bad luck after bad luck, bad parenting, bad choices. They didn't need to be told they were a loser. They just needed yeah, someone yeah, yeah, to yeah. fucking care. And I mentor people all the time that just needed someone to care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's where I don't think he doesn't tune into that. But he's not trying to tune into that. He knows his audience. He's, he's a bloody brilliant marketer. Some of the <clears> stuff <throat> he says is very extreme and it's even too much extreme for me. Um, and, you know, 
I'm just going to read you something you said. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's fucking hilarious. Um, but the thing with Andrew Tate and all of his clones, because there are a lot of clones of Andrew Tate, um, is if he pisses you off, ask yourself, was it true what he said? Because the thing with Andrew Tate is he'll, he won't say it in a way that you it like. It might be the language he uses as opposed to the... And the style the, the... and the tone. But the reality is, I don't... My ego cares how people talk to me. But actually, when I think about it from a knowledge point of view, it doesn't matter how people Was talk the to message me. correct? It was yeah. the message. So talk to me like a piece of shit. But if what you're saying is useful to me... I'm going to be smart enough to not care that you spoke to me like a piece of shit. Yeah, and I guess back to that stimulus and response thing. Sometimes you have to be a day later when you're thinking about it in your quiet moment to realise what he said was correct. The way he said it wasn't very nice. Yeah. Yeah, so he said, when women say they don't need a man, they don't mean it. What they mean is they don't need a snivelling pussy who earns less than five million a year and can't bench press double his body weight, <laughs> which happens to be all of you. Trust me, she always needs a man. She will do anything to get one and anything to keep one. I'm a man and I know plenty of people who know I'm a man and I can't bench press double my weight. Yeah. So bench pressing double your weight doesn't make you a man. It just means you can... So sometimes when people like him or Piers Morgan... But people like that will get people talking. I've just read it. And it makes him more... It, it, it probably grows his numbers because one of the things I realised early on on social media and perhaps I, I'm not good at it. I need to get better at it. I need to work on that. But is the perfect algorithm seems to be that you need to be hated and loved in equal measure to get people talking about you. If they just love you, there's but no conversation. If they hate you, there's no conversation. Well, you need both. Isn't that another law of the universe? Name me a hyper successful person, you know, that doesn't have any haters. No, I mean, listen, I talked earlier about my tiny foray into politics. I realised how hateful that was. I mean, it never, Brexit. Bothered, it never bothered me. Yeah, You yeah, loved or hated. Side, uh, yeah, and yeah. I was hated for it. Yeah. But that made me more entrenched in my belief because I knew that if they were saying something I wasn't, I knew they were wrong. Yeah. And actually, those who supported me, I knew it was a good cause. In my view, from yeah. my world, my perspective, what I thought was the best decision. Mm. No, so nobody can you goes name in, anyone who you know who's successful and you've never heard a bad word said about them to anyone, including on social media and YouTube. No, no. In fact, it's, as, it's as you were saying... It's impossible to. Here's why it's impossible. We all have a unique set of values, the things we believe to be most important and true to us. And there are polarised extremes of those values. So in politics, you get the left and the right. Yeah. The right naturally hate the left, the left naturally hate the right. And in anything, you have the polar extremes. So by, so by definition of you being you, you're going to attract the opposite and the opposite hate you. hate you. So, you know, we can sit here in our ivory tower making out that we don't judge. I hate the government. Fucking do. I think they've fucked our country up. Yeah, and I think really some not. of our politicians should be tried for crimes against humanity. Instead, they're on I'm a celebrity and they're only hundreds of thousands in public speeches. I think how, you know, all those fucking WhatsApp messages that came out. It was obvious to me they misran our country. And at the very least, they should be tried. And if it tr turns out they did the best they can and that's proven, I'll be the first to hold my hand. And how up. do they get away with deleting them and just but, saying but I deleted them? Yeah. It's just a freaking scam crime against humanity. So I don't like them because I'm the opposite of them. I naturally, now look, I try not to judge and I try to learn they would deserve a fair trial, but they haven't even had a trial and they're not going to have a trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So by definition of being you, you are going to dislike anti-you. Yeah, no, that's but fair. That's if fair. you're a conservative, I mean, you're going to dislike Labour. It's just natural. And I guess you have to get comfortable with that as being the law of the universe. Yes. I remember Greg, we, we both know Greg Wallace and... I mentored Greg for a few years and he's a mate and whatever. And one of the things I said to him once years ago, probably 12 years ago now, was he was getting so much hate over something he'd done or said. Uh, and I said, how do you put up with all the hate, Greg? And he said, well, they hate us. It's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And it, it was so resolved that that was just normal and it was – and, it, and there wasn't a, it felt like there wasn't a cell of anger in his body about it. He just accepted that was almost a universal law mm. and that was going to happen and that had to happen. But he would keep on speaking his truth and doing what he knew to be true or right by the, 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 the work he was doing and accepting the love from those who loved him. Mm. Uh, but so many people, I think, in this x-factor world where we are scared of being unpopular i mean you talk about governments most of what they do bad is increasingly driven by the need to be popular mm. or the desire to be popular when actually if you really take on what you've just been saying about accepting that half the population whether it's your politics or your education or your upbringing or your money are going to hate you for something uh so i guess part of it is just accepting who you are knowing who you are and working to be the best version of who you are yeah so there are, I believe, two types of law, human-made law and universal law. And humans want to be loved and not hated because they're trying to make up their own law. Humans create laws in society, but some people break them and get consequences of that. And the people who make them break them themselves yeah. or rewrite them when it suits. So a human law is completely manipulatable. But a universal law isn't. So wisdom and I like to think about dancing with the universe rather than wrestling with the universe. So if I fight universal it, laws, yeah. I'm going to be constantly unhappy, <clears throat> constantly stressed, constantly, you know, Negative. loggerheads with life. Whereas if I learn the universal laws, I'm more dancing with it. It's leading me. For and example, enjoyable. And, and, and yeah, for example, you know, the saying it is what it is. That understands that nothing can be other than what is. Because if it could have been anything else, it would. So if you wish it was something else, you are wrestling with the universe and you're in delusion and you're in stress because you want to change what is, because you can't change what is. But if you accept what is, then you're dancing with, with the universe. So what is, is that we're all different. And so if you are you, there is an anti-you. So if you want to be successful, you have to be equally loathed as well as loved. And if you want to avoid that law, the only way to ne never be loathed is to never be known and never and be to seen be insignificant and never be heard. And so then the downside consequence of that is insignificance, which burns in us because we all want to be significant and respected. So, you know, we talked off camera about you know, this getting attention. Yeah. And yeah. you even said you think you could probably be a bit bigger if you were a bit more polarizing. Um, I think you should be as bold and polarizing as you can, standing up for what you think, what you think is right, standing against what you think is fundamentally wrong, but not unnecessarily taking swipes at people in the process. So I, did you notice when I said I hate the government, I didn't, I didn't criticise individuals? Right. 
because like, until I know an individual, I'm not going to criticise them. But, you know, I, I do think since COVID, they fucked the country up. I really do. And I know it was hard, but I do honestly think I'd have done a better job. I think any entrepreneur would have done a better job. The, the trillion that they wasted. Like, I can't waste a trillion in my company. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't waste money. I have to make profit. <clears throat> so, yeah. Like, but the, but the fact that it's not a company... No, they, they can do that and survive and go on and make more a, money and lose more money. It's a legally insolvent entity, which is not for profit. So if you trade knowingly insolvently, you could get struck off as a director. You could even in, in, end up in prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the government are allowed to do it because they make their own fucking rules. So, it, it's a trillion. What is it? How many? Tri is it three trillion in debt? It's crazy. The economy. So and everyone knows it. Everyone knows it's trillions in debt. They do. And, and what they print more money, so they make more debt, and they spend money they haven't got, and they know that the police and the NHS are underfunded. So they have made a rule for themselves where they can legally trade insolvently. An entrepreneur who's been raised for 20 or 30 years has to trade solvently and has to make a profit and has to appease the shareholders. It's going to go in and run the government like a company. And, and if he didn't, it'd be sacked very quickly yeah. or, or insolvent, uh, bankrupt very quickly. They don't run I it mean, enough like a company. One of the things I often say, my mum used to say, and I used to think because she was an uneducated woman that it was her lack of education that made her say it. I realised how wise she was. She just had a different education. Yeah, and yeah. she said, Mickey, it doesn't matter who you, who you vote for, the government will still get in. And what she was yeah. saying is they're all as bad as each other. Because yeah. here we are in this reality, next year, next year, this year, sorry, there will be maybe a different government. Do you think they're going to be any better? Do you have any do you old hope that they'll be any better? No. I mean, because the problem no. is we don't want those who are in, but I don't think we want the opposition either. It, we, so the only way to take control is to take control of life. You're, back to your thing. If we dance with the, the the laws of the universe and we learn to work within the rules of the game, even in a bad economy, we can still make money. We can yeah. still uh, control our happiness, our wealth, our uh, future. Build personal Because wealth. we learn how Be to work within bad rules, yeah. even if they're bad rules. Yeah, well, what being an entrepreneur is about often is observing the masses and doing the opposite because the, op yeah. the masses aren't entrepreneurs. So actually, usually when there's crashes, recessions and the, the economies you know supposedly going down or fucked actually that's often the opportunity for the entrepreneur and and no i completely agree because you said observe the masses and do the opposite the extension to that is because the masses are leading lives of quiet desperation and the masses will be average and average is the top of the bottom the bottom of the top the cream of the crap it's like who wants to be there it's not a choice well it is a choice but it's not yeah. a choice that if people really considered they would want to choose no um, listen, I'm conscious of time. I really value uh, your time. I'd love to come back again. But tell me about your new book. I know you've written many, many bestsellers. Uh, but tell me about the new book that you're excited about that you're about to launch. Yeah. So depending on when you publish, it may or may not be out. So if, it'll be two weeks tomorrow. Okay. So then if you want to grab a book of mine to warm up for my new release, it would be money. Right. It's called money. No more, make more, give more, and you can buy it anywhere. Um, my new book is called Money <coughs> Matrix. And that is um, learn how the banks and the system operate, play them at their own game, and build personal financial wealth. They'll end up being a sexier subtitle, but that's essentially the concept in three sentences. Most people do not know how banks work. You know, for example, pe people think, oh, I'm going to save my money in the bank. No, what you should think is I'm going to give my money to the bank and I've got all the risk and they're going to make money on my money and they could steal it. 
And it's now an asset of the bank, not an asset of me. As opposed to using their money through debt, leveraging Yes. So I learned, you know how to do this, Mike. You've done this a lot. I learned 17 years ago that um, broke people, they take all the risk with their money and they borrow loans, uh, personal loans, and they put their money in the bank and they take the risk. I make the bank take all the risk. Because I've got tens of millions of pounds worth of mortgages, as I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, in if there's a run on the bank, I've got to go to the bank and go give me my money, and they may or may not. If I'm in a bit of trouble, the bank's going to knock on my door and run after me. So I've got more yeah. control there. So that's one thing. Robert Kiyosaki, and I know you've had him on your podcast as yeah. well, talks about when you're billions in debt, they're going to look after you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes, they're not just going to wipe you out and repo you with the more money it's you going have. to hurt them more than you exactly if they, if they so, yeah. so you need to turn the risk in your favor but society the banking system has essentially two purposes it's to um earn interest from you and tax you it's essentially that yeah. a bank is a for-profit corporation you know you see these adverts or oh, save with us look after your pension <laughs> as if they're a service exactly yeah. they're, they're not a service they're a for profit organization you can get better return on your money in the banks therefore your money isn't as good a return in the banks you can have a safer place to put your money than the banks because i don't think it's safe so money matrix the first half of the book is educating people about the system that the system won't teach you because if the system teaches you how it operates you can beat the system and it wants to beat you and is that going to be out in paperback and audible or? yeah paperback first audible a bit later i was going to say i know a lot of people consume audibly now yeah. um maybe it's a Changing lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then the second half is all about how to build personal wealth. Because you can't make money until you know how the system of money works. You know, the banks print their own money. An entrepreneur can also do that in a different way. So um, people also talk about freedom being choice or whatever. I think freedom is having enough money to be able to say no. Well, to feel secure, to feel that you've got enough that that you could weather that storm. So if you're secure and you've got enough, you can say no to the things that make you insecure or unsafe or don't want to do. I think that was one of the things that became a bit of a misnomer for me when I was doing the politics because, you know, Sir Edward Lister, one of Boris's senior advisor, the senior advisor in Down the Street at the time, on the day that I had to put in my submission to to run as the Brexit candidate in Peterborough, rang me four times offered me roles in education that they would create in Cambridge because they knew how important education was to me. And I'm not talking the academic type. I'm talking about teaching people, uh, whether it's mentoring, but also through academia, giving that as a foundation and then building on it. Um, Rang me for a time. I I told Nigel, he then put it in the press. It it became a negative thing. But the reality is um, that these people couldn't buy me because I didn't need their money. And they're so used to most people who are running or in positions of authority, they can buy them somehow. And to me, money meant I could make a decision because Peterborough was important to me because I believed in what I was running for and the importance of our independence and being able to trade globally rather than just restricted to the EU. Uh, and I couldn't be bought. And that to me, okay, I didn't win that 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 election. It became more about Boris and Brexit and the Tories and so on. Uh, and we can look at what happened and un. I mean, I failed in that extent, but I learned a lot in the process, so I didn't fail. But what it taught me mostly was they used to being able to control people, and the best way to control people is money. Buy them. And if you've got enough money, no one can buy you. And that's what I mean about being able to say no. So the ultimate freedom 
is actually being able to say no to what you don't want to do. And money means you don't have to say yes to the things you don't want to do. I want to leave your listeners and viewers with one thing, because we talk about learning a lot. And, you know, the more you learn, the more you earn. Most people have to unlearn. And society and the school system and education and the government are teaching you to be a laborer for their for-profit corporation. I don't judge them for that. I have people who work for me. But if I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to have freedom, I, that's not how I'm going to be. But you've been institutionalized if you've gone through school and university and you've learned in that way. So you need to unlearn safety, unlearn bad debt, unlearn false obligations to family and friends who are holding you back. And it's as more about what you unlearn as it is what you learn. And that's a great note to finish on. And uh, thank you very much for your time, Rob. Pleasure. Uh, listen, that was great for me. And one of the things I often say as well is that focus and discipline are really key principles. Part of that is knowing what to say no to, to be able to draw that line of what you do want. Often we don't know what we want and we have to get to what we want by knowing what we don't want. Have a think about what you want to say no to. If you've enjoyed today, do share, like, subscribe, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Success is a System. Success is a System.